Hey, welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Hunter. My name is Ethan Mathias. Thanks for joining me. Tonight's episode, I've got Max Sharp, the owner of Straight Lake in Arkansas. Extremely excited to have him on. It was an awesome time getting to talk with him. If you don't mind, there was a major storm rolling through uh, the night that we recorded. I cleaned up the audio the best that I could. There, you know, there may be a couple of glitches. If there is, I apologize. But it, the audio definitely gets better as the episode goes on. So thank you so much. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Max, how's it going? Man, it's great. How about yourself? I can't complain. A few more hours and I'll be headed to Arkansas. Well, that's a good place to be today. Yes, sir. You out there already? Yeah, I got here yesterday. I come in late last night. I went to the uh, Duck Camp Social. Oh, yeah? How was that? Man, it was good. It was informative. Uh, talked a lot about uh, avian flu and... Uh, little little good dissertation about uh, hunter expectations you know maybe being too high and what we really do this for and what the expectations are may not always match up you know yeah, i was gonna say i saw saw a few different posts of uh guys out there it looked like a pretty good crowd it was a big crowd it was uh it was a little different venue this year uh, last year's a little more intimate you know smaller smaller setting uh, this year, and it's a fundraiser for Arkansas Game and Fish, so I understand them, you know, wanting to make it bigger if they can get more people there to do it, you know, be there. Yeah, absolutely. Get a, generate a little bit more money. Yep. So, well, Max, tell everybody who you are and what you do for a living. Uh, Max Sharp. I'm the uh, founder and manager at uh, Straight Lake, Woodruff County, Arkansas, Arkansas. Uh, also, in the in my real job, I have uh, commercial real estate. I'm in the directional drilling business, and uh, in the sporting clay business. Oh yeah, awesome. Where are you from? Uh, Arkansas originally, or where are you from? You know, actually, I was born in Arkansas, Southwest Arkansas, Magnolia. Uh, lived most of my life in uh, Northwest Louisiana, where I currently reside. Uh, when I'm not in Woodruff County, which is a good bit of my time nowadays. Yeah, I was going to say, with a lodge like that and that piece of property, I'd never want to leave. It's tough. It's tough <laughs> to leave, I guarantee you. <laughs> oh, I don't blame you on that. So when uh, when did you first get into duck hunting? You know, I was, uh, I was about 18 years old, and I had a friend that had a piece of property up on the Red River, and we just started going up there and sitting in the blind, and, you know, I, I remember distinctly having – Yinson duck calls and uh, let me see if I can remember what these decoys were. You probably are too young to know what these were, but they were called feather flex. And we just sit there and wait. And boy, those ducks would fall in there. You know, sometimes we'd have to sit there till 10 o'clock. And it was really a strange place, probably the strangest place I've ever hunted. It was like a species hunt. Every day it would be something different. <laughs> but uh it's just a weird just a weird place it's just an oxbow lake off of a off of a river and you know the ducks would come in there to loaf around i guess because it was looking back at it i mean it was there was no food in it whatsoever you know or anything like that so just to totally different than what we do today yeah as you say it doesn't seem like a whole lot of uh variety out of y'all's place it's all green well, you know, hunting these fields now, uh, yeah, I mean, we, for for the last five or six years, you know, we've done a lot of woods hunting, and uh, 
we didn't have we didn't have a lot of options for cloudy days, rainy days, and 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 stuff like that. And it really just became obvious that we were going to have to have uh, more diversity, you know, as we took on members and and uh, trying to develop our property. You know, it it takes four components to have the ultimate waterfowl compound, uh, in my opinion, and that's you know, ag, moist soil, forested wetlands, and permanent water. And uh, so that's what we've worked on really hard is to develop the four components of that and to uh, to create something, you know, special up here at Straight Lake. Yeah, and I was going to say, and I, I feel like you sold yourself short because, I mean, you guys have done some serious projects out there. And I want to dive into that uh, here in just a minute. But so how were you, how are you introduced to Straight Lake? You know, we were we were doing Old School Outdoors, a TV show that, you know, ran on the Sportsman's Channel for about seven or eight years. And I was mm-hmm. one of the hosts. And one of our one of our guys that uh, was one of the hosts is in the logging business. And he, he really had a lot of land contacts. And and I was looking for, you know, a property to buy, you know, to develop for waterfowl. And just, you know, we had leased stuff through the years. And it was always, a, you know, the farmer's son would take it over or you know, you would lose good leases for one reason or another. And I just said, you know, the only way to do this is to own your property, you know, farm your property and have the, you know, have the whole piece of pie, you know. So Beatty introduced me to a guy that was in South uh, East Arkansas, which is originally where I was, where I was looking. And he, he knew me and, and, you know, what kind of waterfowler I was and how dedicated I was to it. And, you know, just on our initial conversation, he uh, he pretty much told me that there was nothing in southeast Arkansas that was going to satisfy me and that I needed to go to northeast Arkansas. So, and he said, I don't know if this is the right piece of property, but I've hunted with this guy and I know this guy and that guy was in the timber business in, in Alabama. And uh, he owned this 300-acre track up here. And uh, it was really just kind of one of those things that was meant to be after all the pieces fell into place. And uh, But he wouldn't show me the property up here originally. And about a week later, he, week later, he called me and he said, hey, if you want to see that piece of property, I'll show it to you. So I immediately come up here, like stopped everything that I was doing and come straight <laughs> up here. And, uh, it's really, it's really a story of diligence. You know, um, every piece of property that we've, uh, that we've obtained, you know, and it's in about, I don't know, eight or 10 pieces, you know, to put, to put what we have together. Um, every piece has had some little caveat to it, you know, where it could have went one way or the other, but we ended up, you know, we ended up winning. And, uh, so it's, um, I stopped what I was doing. I come up here, I met Mr. Steve. He showed me the property. I liked it because it was diverse. It had, uh, you know, on the South end of the property has a field, then it has a little block of woods and then, you know, and it kind of lays out long. So there's 300 acre hunts, you know, the 300 acres, uh, hunted really big, you know, it hunted bigger than it was. Right. Um, it had a little block of woods and then it had what we call our reservoir, which is really, um, it's really a field that's really sculpted up, um, 
you know, it's got some little nooks and crannies in it and uh, it's pretty narrow and long and then it's surrounded by trees. So when you hunt that reservoir, you can stand in those, stand in those trees and res- calling it a reservoir really is a bad name for it because you think of like big open water and this is like totally not that at all. It's just what Steve called it and we just left the names uh, the same. And then on the very north end of this 300 acres, it had uh, what we call the deadening, which is, uh, you know, kind of kind of become the, it's just an absolute X, you know, and it's, it's now one of our rest areas. But at the time we had a couple of blinds out in it, you know, and we were hunting in that deadening. And so it was just kind of a diverse piece, you know, with some woods, some fields, the reservoir being able to stand in the trees and, um, shoot over the woods and you know so it kind of gave us it kind of gave us a really good start to have places to hunt in any weather condition you know oh yeah absolutely i mean and with that area you know that that's the one thing you notice as soon as soon as you pull in you start to see trees you know everything leading up to that it's all just fields and yeah, it's, you know, being over next to the bio, you know, we're, where we're located here, we're kind of, we have three and a half miles of bio to view frontage. Um, in a lot of places, we own both sides of the bio. So those trees along the bio are kind of natural wind breaks and stuff. When you have really high winds, you know, you can always count on the ducks being, you know, on one side or the other of those trees. And um, it just really, it just really makes a good fit, you know, for, for having the uh, the woods and the tree lines, you know, to hunt out of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you guys have built an incredible place. Um, just saying that from, you know, everything I've seen over the past few years, following you guys on social media, it's, uh, it's quite the property. Well, we appreciate that. We've had an amazing team work on it. And most, most of the team, you know, is right here in Woodruff County and uh, just full of good people up here and, very talented people, you know, and I had a, I had a vision for what I wanted it to look like and they really grabbed onto that vision. And I spent a lot of time, you know, here with them explaining, you know, what we were building and, and how we were going to do it and why we were doing this. And, you know, my, my career in directional drilling, you know, for 30 years, I've been involved in basically topography, you know, land elevations. And, um, and this, this project was just all about land elevations and, and lots of levees you know <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah i want to ask you about one of them in particular but uh w- when you first got the property was it set up for duck hunting you know did it have established duck habitat or you know i would i would say that original 300 acres it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a running joke you know i tell people i said you know we've moved every ounce of dirt <laughs> on this property and some of it, well, some of it we moved twice, you know? Um, now it was about, it was about 30%. Really the guy that had it from Alabama, <clears throat> he pretty much flooded up that deadening. Um, and that's where he hunted at. He didn't, he didn't really hunt in the reservoir or the death hole or the other little block of woods, you know, or the field that's now South of our lodge. So he had no idea what he had. No, nah, he really didn't. And he and he really now he comes back. We're still buddies. And he, he comes back and we talk on the phone, you know, at least two or three times during duck season. And uh he he just says, Son, I just you know, he's an older man and he's he's like, Son, I just can't 
I just couldn't wrap my mind around, you know, when you told me that you were going to build your lodge where you built it and what your vision was for this property. Yeah. I mean, it, it, all it takes is a little hard work and diesel fuel and you can do anything you dream of. It is, it is possible. It does take, uh, it does take a, a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of money and a lot of effort, you know, to, to do it, but it is possible. I mean, it's possible for anybody to, um, to do it, you know, just start small and build onto it. And that's what we've done at Straight Lake. Yeah. I was going to say, did, did the previous owner, did he have much documentation of, you know, uh, birds being killed out there or anything like that? You know, he didn't, he didn't have anything written down. Um, I could tell when I looked at it, that it was a duck hole, you know, there was, you know, I always, in any property, you know, if I go look at a property, I want to, I want to be able to identify a natural swag, you know, Oh yeah. a, a place that historically, you know, has held water. Um, and, you know, and I found that, you know, with the old bio cut and the, uh, the straight lake itself, which was, uh, you know, part of bio to view, uh, probably 50, 60 years ago, Yeah. you know, it was an old, it was an old river cut, you know, where the bio had cut it off and, and, uh, so it was, it was, it was definitely on my radar for sure. I knew when I looked at it and, um, I knew that it was a duck hole and that it had great potential, you know? Oh yeah. And uh, just that area in general, you know, our old, old farm that we used to have was just south of you guys a little bit. And man, I loved it. It was, it was a neat piece of property and, I guess somebody found out that we uh, we were hunting out there and offered the landowner way more than what we were paying for. He turned them down, and then I said, "Well, how about we just buy you out?" And never found out what uh, what that deal was worth. But most of the stuff up here is uh, what I would say is underdeveloped. You know, it's not a it's not an area it's not an area like uh, say Stuttgart that everything is precision leveled with uh, roads in the middle of fields and every field is flooded with pit blinds uh, this area is this area is different you know I, um, there's something special about it i mean it all the yeah, creeks the people, and the people, yeah the people up here have always hunted uh more traditional style you know timber hunting uh not as much not as much field hunting uh more sloughs and rivers you know backwater uh, I think historically is kind of how everybody in this area is hunted, you know, which is the pinnacle of waterfowl, you know, to stand by a tree and kick water. You know? Absolutely. Are you managing the water levels on that uh, yourself we, or? Yeah, we do. We do. We do have a biologist at Straight Lake. Uh, Jacob Bethel is a grad student, master's, master's degree biology with uh, Dr. Osborne's program down at Monticello. Um, I was introduced to Dr. Osborne four or five years ago when we started banding up here and uh, just really uh, have learned a lot from him. You know, he's been a great mentor and uh, just thought it would be a great asset for us, somebody on staff to uh, look after the health of all these, you know, our trees. We're, we have five blocks of timber, you know, at Straight Lake and it's about, you know, 900 acres of uh of hardwood bottomlands to look after and you know and it's a commodity and we recognize the uh the value and the health of those trees so um 
we, we've worked real hard to get those set up so that we can put water on our trees later. And then most of the time we're pulling water off the woods, even before the season ends, you know, trying to keep it down so that when, when it is time to pull the plug on it, that we can get the water off, uh, you know, speedily. Yeah. I love hearing that. Cause I, I think it's a common misconception, you know, guys want to put water on their timber cause they saw a few ducks show up and then it's on there for, you know, two or three months before season starts. And then they want to leave it on till March and it just kills yeah. off their trees. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, we, we've got that are, um, you know, two of our stands are almost, uh, you know, virgin timber stands that were really, we developed, you know, for waterfowl that had never had, that had never had water put on it. I mean, essentially it was a, you know, a deer hunting track that, that we impounded, levied, you know, cleared around, uh, put a well on it, you know, and pumped it. So, you know, we don't want any degeneration, uh, because of our fault, you know, in those timber stands and, um, that 160 to the west of us it we have one track that's about two miles west of the lodge and uh man it's just the prettiest track of willow oaks you know and i want i want my kids and my grandchildren you know to see those willow oaks um it's just it's just a beautiful stand of timber in there and you know so we're trying real hard to take care of those timber tracks now i I know you guys are doing a good job it seems like everything you do you're, you're not doing it for tomorrow you're doing it for the future yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, what we're doing is a conservation effort uh, at its finest. You know, like we love to we love to hunt ducks, but at the same time, I want I want it to be something that uh, future generations, uh, you know, our members, our members, kids, grandchildren, you know, and my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children. I want to uh, be able to continue the the heritage and the traditions, you know, of waterfowl. You know, when you guys are taking a new timber unit and you're running a levee around it. What's kind of your your target goal for water height? Well, I mean, you know, some some of these tracks are not very level, you know. So, oh yeah, <clears throat> there's some great technology out there now to de- to even decide, you know, if a timber track is suitable. And uh, you know, that's lidar. Uh, you can do that with a drone nowadays, and it it's sending the light beam. And it's measuring, it's basically giving you a topography of the forest floor uh, without having to do, you know, an extensive survey, uh, which could get really expensive. So LIDAR has made it easier to determine if a, if a track's even suitable to be a GTR, you know, number one. And But to answer your question, I mean, ideally, you won't, you know, knee deep or less water, you know. I really like this. I really like skinny water. You know, the the skinnier the water, the better I like it. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say in one of your units, uh, I'm not sure what what you guys call it, but man, it just looks like the prettiest timber hole, and you know, it's it's under your knee, and it just it looks perfect. Yep. Yeah. There's there's a there's a you know ours kind of fall from the east to the west, and uh, the west side of the big block is is a little deeper. It gets, you know, right at your knee. And then the further you move to the east in that block of woods, the shallower the water gets uh, up to just, you know, shoestring, shoestring depth, uh, even even below your ankle. And, boy, it's – you get them in that skinny water, it's really fun in there oh, with, yeah. the dog, with the dogs <laughs> in that skinny water. Oh, it's a good time. You're making me ready for this weekend. Yeah, I know this weekend is not going to be timber hunting weather, I'm afraid. What are your predictions with 
with rain and overcast and no wind and warm temperatures? Well, you know, last last year I call it the holiday heat wave. You know, this year we had the split heat wave. So, you know, you just have to go hunting, you know, and hunt, hunt conditions. It's kind of like playing baseball, you know, just play the game proper. We don't go in our woods, you know, if we don't have the right conditions. And, and I'm not saying we won't go in the woods if it's cloudy, but if it's if it's super low overcast and it's foggy and no wind and stuff like that, we just, you know, it's not taking the pull, but it is, you know, we call it taking the pull and just, you know, we're going to go hunt in the, in a pit blind, in a tree edge, you know, we're going to try to do something different, but we're going to, we're going to leave those woods alone. We, we, uh, we hold those woods to the highest regard for the right day to be in there, you know, so that you don't just burn them out of it. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's what kind of separates a, a good club from a bad club, you know, managing your pressure and letting those birds rest. Boy, that's a million-dollar word right there, pressure. Pressure. I mean, pressure is just – and pressure comes in a lot of different forms. You know, boat motors, buggies, four-wheelers, too many people hunting, you know, in an area. It's a lot of different factors that contribute uh, – to pressure and that's something that you know our members really bought into and I, I took a lot of time to explain you know the the management practices that I wanted to institute at Straight Lake and boy those guys you know they 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 really get it they understand and and I, I guess it takes hunting in a bad place or you know in an unmanaged place to say I'm all for a managed place you know and so it's it's really uh our members have really done a good job of, uh, of buying into, you know, controlling the pressure. Oh yeah. And I mean, and they can see, they can see it pay off immediately. Yeah. Because I mean, the bottom line is you can go in, you can go in those woods on a bad day when you shouldn't be there and you can can have a good hunt, but it ain't going to last very long. Nope. You know, you're going to notice, you're going to notice the damage that you've done. The next time it's a sunny day, you're like, Ooh, we may have fouled that up, you know, coming in here on that foggy day three or four days ago. You know, it's not what it was. It's you no, know, it's not what it was. And it's there's a certain number of ducks that's going to use that block of woods every day. I mean, they're, they're going to use it. They'll use it in the fog. They'll use it in the no wind. But you can really run them, run them out of their low overcast. That sound. We don't shoot towards our rest areas. We only hunt, you know, depending on the wind. Depends on which way we come and go, you know, into the woods and out of the woods. Uh, if the woods, if they're stacking up on one side of the woods, then we have an alternate route so that we don't bump them, you know, getting out. We can leave them in there and we control our shooting time, you know, when shooting and when we stop shooting. So, What's your cutoff time out of curiosity? We don't, we don't have a hard set cutoff time, but 8, 830 is getting late. Oh, man. And you know it's kind of a it's kind of a running joke. You know somebody somebody's got to be the the hard nose. You know, and I, I always tell the guys, look. Usually, I tell them on the boat ride in. You know, I'm like, hey, when we get ready to leave this morning and get out of here, I want you as motivated to leave as I as I seen you motivated to get in the buggy and come down here and get in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had split read out there this summer when you guys were working on a bunch of farm projects and you've had multiple 
photographers out there that are super well known. But I mean, some of the pictures I've seen on y'all's Instagram and website are uh, they're great pictures. Yeah, Ed, Ed, uh, Ed Wall. All those people have done an incredible job. You know, we had a new photographer, Carter, from Minnesota come down last weekend. Split Reed's done a phenomenal job for us for three or four years. Uh, Ed Wall has always been, you know, one of my favorite photographers to have in camp. Just passionate about it and so, like, Ed, you don't even know he's there. You know, Grant, Grant Sinclair's done a great job. Um just just a multitude of photographers and uh and we like we like to capture that and the members like that especially if they got their family you know they can really get some good photos uh with the guys there and the the photographers to me the the media and the pictures and the photographers last way longer than a stringer of dead ducks you know absolutely having somebody's family you know photographed out there in the woods with uh you know smiles on their faces and you know kids killing their first duck and stuff like that those are just like super special moments that you're you're getting to capture and you know just and and one of the things i appreciate about those guys is you know they're taking a lot of photos when no one's paying attention to them taking a photo you know they capture the moment when you know you're looking up and you just see green in the air you know your dog staring at some birds or whatever the case, you know, they're capturing the moments that sometimes you may miss out on that you want to, you want to see. And you don't remember that exact moment until you see the picture of it. Yeah. It's kind of like these, you know, they say these college football coaches can see the whole field, you know, and you, you get focused in on something that you're fooling with and you're missing something. So yeah, yeah that's, that's a good, that's a good analogy to uh, who would have known that the avian bird flu would come out. And, you know, it's wiping birds out left and right. And then it makes you appreciate last year even more. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and I, I, you know, and I just hope that avian flu, like last night at the, uh, at the duck social, it wasn't uh, pretty much the consensus of the biologist and game and fish was, you know, they did not think that it would carry over into ducks and they didn't think it would carry over into dogs and, you know, humans and stuff. And the, basically the word was, is just, be smart about it, you know, clean your birds with gloves. Don't eat, drink, or smoke while you're, while you're cleaning birds, you know, wash your hands. Don't fool with dead birds. You know, don't be band checking birds. <laughs> yeah. But Just, something, something I actually thought about this morning, and I, I don't know if anybody brought this topic up during that meeting. Do you think having all the rain in Arkansas will help? You know, when you think of a giant snow feed, you know, those birds are pooping in the field constantly, but having some kind of fresh water to kind of maybe get that out of the soil a little bit more, do you think that'll help? I mean, I, I, I've got so many questions about it, but. Yeah, I don't uh, know, man. Uh, that, that may be somebody up the, up the, up the food chain <laughs> to determine that. Uh, I'll, I'll, have yeah. to ask Jacob, I'll have to ask Jacob what he thinks about that. Yeah. Well, so. You guys are, are in a great area. And I, I know that area pretty well, just having our old farm right down the road from you. Uh, you know, with all the moist soil units out there, all these guys putting in efforts to, you know, kind of restore their habitat, similar to what you guys are doing. What do you think seems to be the most prominent food source for ducks in that area? Well, I think it depends on what the temperature is. And I think that changes. Like that deadening is a moist soil unit. 
that's the first place that ducks hit. We created another another moist soil unit, you know, on the south side of Bio de View, probably a mile and, mile and a half apart from the deadening. You know, we call it the Cemetery Lake. Um, it's also a moist soil unit. So those ducks early, you know, moist soil units. And then as the temperatures drop, it gets cold, you know, then they're more into hot food. But I think they're feeding... They're not feeding a lot. They're they're more loafing on that because they just don't they don't have the calorie needs, you know, when it's when it's 75, 80 degrees, but like earlier in the season, you know, they were really pounding our our rice, you know, pretty hard and and we had a lot of uh, flooded corn and we went in and harvested about three or four acres in the center of it just to open a hole up in the in the corn and it's really an observation area where we go down to the uh, to the duck tower in the evening and watch the ducks but you know for some reason they're like they're all in that corn but i know that they're they don't need that corn you know with it being 75 degrees so it's kind of weird but i I do notice that ducks really go to the moist soil units first but those are also areas you know for us that have historically been you know rest areas because they're on the east side of our woods, woods too, you know, in, in what, what is a historical rest area. So, you know, I don't know that I could point out one thing that I, I would say, you know, that they're just you know, highly attractive to as soon as they get here, you know. But like when it when it definitely when the weather changes and it gets cold, they're they're uh, you know to the rice fields, you know, feeding in the rice fields and uh, and the and the corn. I always hear the guys say, you know, the curse the curse of corn it can be a great tool but it could also it could be a detriment to the property sometimes yeah i mean i've planted some corn this this spot where we planted it this year is gets a little traffic by it you know it's not as isolated but i planted it in the rest area a few years ago and uh you just couldn't get them out of it you know they wouldn't they wouldn't come to the woods because they had the cover and the thermal protection and and maybe they had plenty to eat there, you know, because even even the fields making invertebrates and snails and frogs and <coughs> everything that these ducks are eating, you know. When you first got the property, did you have to go through and you know, did you guys have any any trees that you know weren't productive or you know beneficial for ducks? Every every tract of timber has some that are that are not productive and. Uh, Overall, you know, we have a good block of woods, and we, didn't do, we haven't done a whole lot. You know, we're, we're considering to take out some elms, some hackberry, and, you know, some undesirables. You know, for the most part, we, we're pretty tight on, you know, leaving things alone, you know. So how many, uh, how many acres of timber are you guys managing? We are about 800 acres of timber. And that's in five different tracks. Yeah, let's try it again. Man, I am sorry. <laughs> but it, it hey, is, trust me. It, it is like pea soup here. <laughs> so you can stir it. It is so uh, bad. The, So far, the record's 10 drop calls. So, so far, I think, too, you're good. Okay, right, good. As long <laughs> as everybody else has problems, too, it's not just me. <laughs> so, as far as uh, the duck banding projects go, how, you know, tell me the start to finish how that works 
Well, start to finish, uh, let's see. We got involved with Dr. Osborne, I guess, four or five years ago. You know, so I wanted to be a part of that banding project. And I thought, you know, that's really cool uh, historical data. You know, if you can if you can hunt your own bands, you know, or have some reporting of your bands, like where are your buck, where are your birds that are wintering at Straight Lake? You know, where are they, where are they being killed at through the flyway? You know, what is their, what is their path to you and from you? You know, so I called Dr. Osborne and asked him if he'd be interested in, you know, using us for a, for abandoned site. And, and of course, you know, he, he did. And the, the process is kind of a, it's a five or six day process of, you know, setting the trap, putting the camera on it, getting the birds on the site, and then, you know, putting a roof on the trap and then closing the trap down, you know, where the birds have to swim into the trap. It's a swim trap that we're, that we're using to, uh, to catch the birds. And, um, so that's, that's kind of the, that's the process of, of, of trapping them. And then we usually put them in, chicken coops you know after we get them out of the trap you have to be super careful with the birds you know because you don't want any mortality you don't want to be killing birds when you're trying to band them and send them back uh send them back north to breed for you you know so super careful with the birds and then take we usually take ours to the barn uh, up to the lodge band them get the measurements do the, do the data recording and then uh, you know release the birds back wild have you guys either one shot one of your birds or double or you know picked them up again during the banding process? No, but the first yes, we have killed birds that were banded at Straight Lake. Uh, two two that were banded in 2019, and uh, when that happened, it was one of the greatest. Other than my children being born, it was like the second or third best thing that had ever happened to me. Uh, I was so excited. I was like <laughs> doing somersaults in the park lot. Has anybody reported a band being shot, you know, anywhere near you guys? Uh yeah. Yeah. We've had some we've had some people, you know, in Woodruff County uh that's killed our bands and then you know, the DU director of Arkansas, you know, killed one a couple of weeks ago. You know, of course, he knew when he seen Pumpkin Bend, he was like, oh, that's one of Straight Lake's bands. Yeah. And he called me and he was like, <laughs> hey, we killed one of your bands. And I'm like, you know, congrats, you know, and I'm proud for him. I mean, congratulations. You know, um, they're obviously going to distribute, you know, all through the flyway, you know. So uh, I'm proud for people, you know, killing a band is a big deal. You know, you don't you don't do that every day. So it's, it's always uh, it's always a fun time. But it. I've really enjoyed it because it's, it's made me, you know, as a hunter, more of a conservationist and it's just like the science being connected to the science of what we're trying to do is just, you know, it's really intriguing and I've just really learned a lot and it's just, you know, and I want to be, I want to be part of uh, making waterfowl better, you know, and making it last and, so that future generations, you know, still have good waterfowling. And I, I hope that my generation really takes that to heart because I know, I know my group and myself, you know, we'll do anything we can to make it better for the future, but it can't always just be about killing. You got to give back somehow or another. That's right. I mean, but look, look how far, look how far deer management has come. <laughs> oh, if I were still a deer hunter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's come a long way from when I was growing up. I mean, people are truly, you know, like they're running cameras, they're getting a targeted buck, 
you know, they're hunting that deer, you know, and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't work, but they're, they're playing the game the right way. Absolutely. You know, you know, for the most part, I mean, you know, there's still some, there's still some, some killers out there and they'll always, you know, killers going to be killed. You know, there's always going to be those guys, but for the most part, um, for the most part, I think everybody, um, wants to do the right thing and has has the right heart about it you know absolutely yep it seems like that area as a whole whether all you guys talk or not but you know from what you guys are doing and dustin roddy and jeff farmer and every everybody you know rusty all of y'all have the same focus you know how can i improve this to make this better but you know all of you guys are kind of in that area and it just seems like that that area has done a complete 180 from what it used to be uh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm super, I'm super stoked that, you know, to hear you say that because I mean, it does. And, and I think the people that, that hunt around us, not just, not just Jeff farmer, you know, at white Oaks and rusty Creasy at the Coca-Cola or, um, you know, some of the, some of the bigger clubs that we know or, or Dustin, you know, with cash river. Um, but even, even the, even the local guys, you know, have said, you know, this is making a difference. You know, our waterfowling is better just because there's concentrations of waterfowl, you know, in the area. And I said, yeah, that's, that's what it's supposed to do. You know, uh, it's better for us. It's better for Rusty. It's better for Jeff. You know, it's, it's better for everybody and the, and the individual guys that's just hunting a 40 acre field, you know, uh, waterfowl attract more waterfowl. So the more you have, the more attraction you have, you know, so. No, absolutely. You know, I've I've got a bunch of buddies. I'm sure you do as well. That you know, they're diehard public guys. They're they're never gonna come, even if I invite them. You know, that's just it's in their blood. They, all they want to do is hunt public land and throw shade. Hey, and, there, and there's something <laughs> there's something super rewarding about that. Well, it's a, yeah, definitely what we're doing is a conservation effort. I mean, because you know, we're we're holding several thousand ducks, you know, through the season and we only want to kill, kill a few of them, you know, and, and sometimes look, our guys, we have some super conservation minded members. I, I remember hunting one day and last year and looking over at George Hampton and they were really doing it good for us. And I looked over at him and I said, George, what do you want to do with these ducks? You want to let them off? And he's like, he just looked at me and just had this biggest grin on his face. And he's like, yeah, let's let them off. And we never fired our guns. We stayed behind our tree, watched the show and you know and made an incredible video you know we could have we could have killed a parcel of them and we just decided not to you know yeah. and I, I just think that's i think that's a very mature thing and you know a, a very conservation minded thing you know are you guys doing any work with agfc you know I, I know they're they're doing a big big gtr project across the whole state just how do we conserve the trees and keep keep these trees healthy do they ever kind of ask for your input uh, you know, no, I, no, I, I just was delivering his thesis over in, uh, over in Men, uh, Memphis this summer. And I went over there to listen to it. And, uh, you know, all the grad students were, were given their thesis and that's, that's a great thing. If, uh, I don't know how necessarily you gather the information cause I knew about it because of Jacob, you know, delivering his thesis and that's a great waterfowl education seminar. And I assume that that happens, you know, every year, maybe at a different location. Um, I don't know, but, and I, I can find that out and somebody could, 
message me on Instagram and I could get them some information on when that occurs. But, you know, if somebody's interested in waterfowl, that's a great place to go just three days worth of 20 minute talks on every topic that you can imagine, you know, from what ducks eat to, to trees, to, you know, water pH, to just everything waterfowl, you know. Uh, uh, I'm glad you said that. Are, are you actually checking the pH of your water and the no, in your we, timber? Or? We we don't we don't we don't do that. But you know, I, I was just I was just kind of remembering some of the things that I heard, you know, mentioned, you know, in these in these thesis studies, uh, and you know these these students are pouring, you know, hundreds if not thousands of hours into these studies. Uh, just a short story, Jacob's study. He uh, he took the esophagus out of a certain number of mallard ducks off of public ground and divided the seeds. You know, and I start thinking about that. I'm like, how tedious <laughs> of a job. Yeah. Then, you know, like it's easy to look out there and say, oh, that's smart weed. You know, now pull that smart weed seed out of a duck's esophagus and count how many they are. And see if that duck likes eating barnyard grass or smart weed or, you know, some other microscopic seed uh, to determine his favorite food source, you know. And and to me, that was just crazy. And I was just like, and, he, and Jacob's like, yeah, I did it. You know, and I was like, he said it was hundreds of hours. And I was like, that's just, that's crazy. But I mean, that's where research comes from. And that's why research is so good, you know, because it takes a long time to do that. Yeah, I was gonna say we we check our soils all the time, but you know it it's either rice or beans. I mean, every once in a while you'll catch a wood duck with acorns and stuff. But is there anything that you guys find more than anything else? You know, that was that was one of the talks last night about uh, you know how many people have ever killed ducks with acorns in their crawl. You know, and and I would say you know like out of all the ducks I've killed few if any have ever had an acorn in it you know and basically the the science behind that is like well yeah you're you're shooting the duck coming into the woods before he has a chance to eat an acorn you know and those acorns would be in their crawl you know in the afternoon and it'd be very likely that it'd be dissolved or in its gizzard you know by the next morning and you wouldn't feel it you know in its crawl so that's kind of the that's kind of the the best known explanation right now to that uh to that age-old topic, you know. Yeah, and I, I don't know too many guys that hunt their timber in the afternoons. No. I mean, no, that that's a no. big no-no for us. Yeah, yeah, no, we don't do that at all. What do you think kind of the the biggest struggle for waterfowl management is? I think, I think the biggest struggle is just, you know, like how the property is hunted and really, really making good decisions because I, I think it's a series of – fairly small decisions as waterfowl managers that are made i think the decisions are small like where where you hunt on this wind and what does it disturb and what are you shooting towards and you know and you have to ask yourself all those questions and kind of formulate a plan of like how you're going to hunt each property you know if if you're truly managing that property and you truly care about the results that you're going to get, you know, from how you're hunting that property, how you travel to and from, 
you know, which direction are you shooting? Are you shooting, you know, like rest areas are like on private ground, rest areas are so important, you know? Oh yeah. We, we don't, we don't go anywhere near ours. We right, let that thing right. be as private as possible. You know, and, so, and some days like those ducks don't get off the rest area, you know, like they may not get off the rest area Saturday morning, you know, and we may only kill two ducks and, and that's okay. We're still not going over there by that rest area, you know? No, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, you know, we're just we're just going to take the result that we get uh, and preserve that rest area because, and I really don't know what's changed. I mean, like, and and I will say that there has been some. I think there's some behavioral change that's occurred in the last 25 years because, you know, I I remember hunting at some, you know, getting invited to some pretty decent duck clubs, and you could go out that duck club any time of the afternoon, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, and you would see ducks trading in the sky, north and south, east and west. They may, they may be high. They're not workable ducks. You know, they're not ducks that are looking to come down. They're not circling, you know, they're, they're traveling. They're going from, from a, from a feed area to a roost area, from a roost area to a feed area. You know, they're just moving in the sky. And today, things are different. Like you don't see that. Like our place hunts more like Canada, you know? Uh, I always said Canada was a window of opportunity, you know, like it got daylight in Canada and you've got a couple hours, hour and a half, two hours, you know, to get your birds. And like once the birds got on the ground and they started feeding, it was over and those birds got up and went back to roost. And, and that's what these birds act like you know, now it's, uh, I've said for 10 or 15 years, you know, that, that mallard ducks act more like snow geese every year. No, don't tell me that. (laughs) They really, they really, they they do when you think about it. They do. And they, and they, I've, I've come up with this special word, you know, they're congregatory, you know, it's the act of congregating where you have them, you usually have them in large numbers. And where you don't have them, you have very few, you know, it's, it's weird. It's like safety in numbers, you know, you don't, you don't see a flock of snow geese with 25 in it. You see 25,000, you know, two years ago, that's when I had my property down near you guys. And I don't know if you remember or not. To me, that was the year of nocturnal flights. And it was, I've just never seen ducks act like that. Yeah, and it's different. It's different every year. Like this year, the full moons are in the middle of the months. You know, November, mid-November, we had a full moon, mid-December, mid-January. And then next year, you know, the full moons may be at the end of the months. And depending on when those full moons are, like during hunting season, it it absolutely affects, you know. Oh, yeah. It affects, you know, how the birds act. When it gets around that full moon, things get a little, they do a little things a little different than they that they do you know without it being a full moon yeah and i i've grown up a deer hunter you know i lived off moon phases and yeah they they do a lot of night feeding for sure you know on those on those full moons and they travel a lot on the full moons our our ducks this year were at least 10 days later getting you know here than they were last year last year we weren't even ready for the ducks you know like we didn't have much water pumped and boy here they come you know october the 18th 19th 20th i always plan on halloween you know halloween being you know trying to have something ready to start uh 
start catching a few ducks, you know, for Halloween. Oh, yeah. Boy, they come early. And then this year, Halloween came, and we had a few around Halloween. But, you know, it was really about November the 10th, right before that full moon. Yeah. You know, it's when the ducks really showed up. Now, the the other downside is, I mean, shoot, it's been so dry, you know, up until this week, finally getting some rain. But, you know, I drove around for a few hours, and nobody had water. Yep. Yep. It's super dry for sure. Tell me about, uh, you know, what your biggest project has been so far and what the future holds. The biggest, the biggest project for this far on what we've done is like what we call the big farm and taking that big farm and putting in, you know, drainage, water control structures and, and levees and a road system to be able to, to get around to the farm and hunt it. Um, you know, almost 40 miles of levee, you know, 1300 acres because everything along straight Lake, you know, and I didn't, I didn't want to come in and precision level this stuff. So all of these fields are fairly level, but they've got highs and lows in them, you know? And I think that, uh, I think that's beneficial, you know, because there's, there's some deeper water on the, on the low end of the field. And then there's skinny water, you know, on the high end of the field. And, um, and some fields, you know, not only did we levy along the bottom end of it, but we divided into four sections. I mean, these were fields that were 150, 160 acres. So we developed, you know, developed them into quadrants, you know, maybe four, four 40 acre fields. Um, and that was, that was just a huge undertaking. I mean, just dirt work galore, you know, but it, it needed it. It needed ditches for drainage. Uh, there was just all kinds of reasoning, you know, and then, you know, like in even our farming, it's helped our farming because it keeps the biodiversity floods, you know, out of some of our ground when we're trying to farm in the spring because. Oh, I remember seeing all the, oh, you guys on dozers for weeks. Yeah. Dozers, <laughs> dozers dirt pans, trackos, dump trucks, uh, just, just an incredible, uh, dirt project, you know, but man, we had some of the most talented people, just, just unbelievable, you know, how, how quick we were able to do it, you know, cause the, the whole project, I mean, really two years, I mean, you know, really two summers, you know, is what we've, is what we've done it in. So it, to me, it would have, it would, you could have even hired contractors and it would have taken a lot longer to do, you know, what we've done than, um, and don't, and don't get it wrong. We still find things, you know, that we need to fine tune. I think there'll always be a little levy work, you know, uh, but now we're down to details like creating at the end of the levy, you know, creating wide spots where it's easy to get the buggy down, you know, and, you know, easy to turn onto the levy and stuff like that. So we're, we're down to small stuff now. Well, I, I appreciated this summer when I reached out to you saying, Hey, I don't expect to get an invite to hunt. I just want to come out there and help work. And I, I still to this day, I'd love to come out there for a weekend Y'all put me to work. I I love that kind of stuff. Man, we'd love, uh, we'd love to have you. I mean, that's what uh, you know, like like Dustin Roddy, you know, Cash River Farms. I mean, he comes over, we ride around, we talk about different stuff, you know, and that's where you get ideas and you like everything's, you know, it's it's not it's it's a culmination for me of like, you know, really listening to other people, taking my own, you know, what my own vision is and and taking the best of everything, you know, and putting it into uh, 
put it into one one idea you know yeah i mean at this point you're just fine tuning it and i mean there's no telling what the next five years looks like for you guys well we hope it we hope it continues to uh to get better you know and and just provide memories man we're looking to make good memories at straight lake you know yeah i was gonna say uh i'm looking at your website i was curious so how many members do you guys have or, you know, on average, I know, and then I saw where you could book a hunt. I, uh, I didn't know that. I, I, I know it's not a, a guide service by any means, but. No, we uh, did. We did. And that website probably hasn't been updated. You know, we did run a guide service out of Straight Lake for uh, three years while we were, while we were doing some of this land acquisition and before I sold memberships, um, and I, you know, I just realized it was, it was a bigger, it was bigger than, it was bigger than I needed to own, you yeah. know, by myself. And so I, I decided that, you know, the membership was the, was the way to go. And, uh, those memberships sold really quick. I vetted those guys, you know, really careful to and, you know, that they weren't just killers and that they had the right, that they had the right mindset and the right heart about it. And, uh, We've, we've got some incredible people, you know, just incredibly smart people and uh, people that just really value, you know, what it is and, and what it's about. And, uh, and that, that just really makes it a lot of fun. You know, when that guy says, you know, man, I just, I've hunted all over the, you know, all over the world and, and, you know, this is, this is home and this, this, I love this place. And, you know, those ducks in the t- timber, you know, a lot of people hadn't got to experience timber hunting, you know, so. Uh, it's right. It makes me really feel good, you know, that those guys really appreciate it, uh, like they do. Oh yeah, I, I, for one, it's hard enough just finding a, a group of guys that gets along, and then you know, putting everybody with the same mindset and work ethic that you know, all they want to do is better the property. That that's yeah, tough. I mean, and 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 then understanding the management, you know, it's it's a lot. It's really a lot to wrap your mind around that you could put a group of guys together that could to get along as well as these guys do and there's you know there's friendships being developed and and they share days with each other because our members uh our members get 24 gun days on the property per year you know so that's a little different than most clubs you know like they don't have the ability to come every day of the season so we're drawing for days and, you know, and each person gets 24 gun days and they can use those how they want to, you know, by design. So if they want to hunt with a large group of people and they want, you know, they want to use their membership in four days and have six people, then they can do that. You know, and that's interesting. What, huh. Yeah. So it's, it's a little different. It's a little different approach than probably, uh, you know, most duck clubs. But but we did that. We did that in order to control the pressure. You know, we don't we don't have more than 16 people going out you know on our acreage on our property um 16 people per day are hunting yeah and that's in two groups of eight you know two groups of eight hunting together one group's going to the woods every day unless it's bad weather you know and then both groups go to the fields um but the typical day you know if it's acceptable to go to the woods one group's going to the woods and one go, one group is going anywhere else on the farm, you know, which is 20 hunting locations, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's really a very low 
a low pressure situation. That, that's a great way to do it. I, uh, I love hearing that. We'd, we've got 12 guys in our deal and we don't hunt more than 12 guys and we don't hunt 12 guys in one group and yep. we kind of divide up and conquer, but yeah, I, I like hearing that. That's, that's a neat management practice. Well, we, I wanted to do that because, you know, I was, I was in some other clubs and, and, uh, I couldn't take both of my kids, you know, you had a, like a one guest rule and, and I'm like, man, I can't even bring both of my kids at the same time, you know, the week of Thanksgiving, you know? So I said, you know, I want to do something. I took the, I took the worst of everything else and culminated it into a program that worked, you know, so that if a guy wanted to hunt with both of his kids, he could, if he wanted to bring his wife, he could bring his wife and, and the kids, you know, have, have a family time you know, at the lodge and, you know, enjoy the chef experience and, um, you know, go down and enjoy the duck tower, you know, so it's really worked good. I think, I think our members, uh, enjoy it. And I think that they, uh, they understand the, the management behind it, you know, absolutely. And, and what makes it work. Oh, man, I, I love to hear that. that. That's incredible. As far as, you know, the, the average guy that, you know, he's got maybe he owns an 80 acre track or hundred, you know, Somebody with a smaller scale property, is it still possible for them to, you know, build and create a successful habitat? Absolutely. Absolutely. It just can't handle as much pressure. But yeah. absolutely. I mean, you know, whether that whether it's in moist soil or, you know, putting some of it in willow trees, you know, it's just yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I tell people all the time, and I, I'm sure you guys have explored some of this, but, you know, WRP options and looking at all the NRCS programs, uh, I'm sure you guys looked into that. You know, I don't know. If, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're utilizing some of the, you know, NRCS. We hadn't, we hadn't done any projects yet, but I definitely signed us up, you know, to look at what they have available. And uh, ours is more for water pumping, you know, to get away from wells and use more surface water. Uh, you know, because we we still want to farm our ground, you know, and we're and we're farming all of our ground ourselves. You know, we don't have a farmer that's farming for us. We are farming in house. The club owns the club owns all the farm equipment, the combine, you know, the haul truck, the stubble roller. You know, <clears throat> yeah, we're doing that. We're doing that ourselves because it's just you know if you can maintain control and you want to leave 10 acres of food in the rest area, you don't have to, you don't have to buy that food from the farmer, you know? Yeah. Heck yeah, man. That That's incredible. I didn't know if you contracted that out or. No, we're doing, what? we're doing it ourselves. We're doing that ourselves. We're managing our, you know, Jacob's managing the moist soil, taking care of the timber. Uh, we have AJ Ruddick that works for us. He is a farmer and uh, you know, he's, he's doing our farmer, but he's an employee of the club. So that's, that's neat it, that, it'll it allows us to custom farm you know because you know it is a little different from him you know aj's like man i ain't never left grain in the field before. You know? it's like, <laughs> we don't do this you know when we farm we cut everything we cut i said well this aj is ducks first you know and then farming and and yes we want the revenue to offset the cost of the duck club but that's that's really one of the things that makes straight lake unique is uh is how that's done, you know, and the ability to custom farm it and, and owning the tractors and, you know, like a guy that has a farmer, you know, it seems like you're kind of, you're always in a contest 
with the farmer, you know, like I need, you know, the duck hunter needs this, but the farmer needs this and they don't coincide well sometimes. And, um, this makes it coincide where it's all funneled towards the ducks. And, you know, if you, if you, if you look up and create some, you know, some revenue, uh, great, you know, you got to take care of those guys because, you know, this is their job and the last thing they want to deal with is a bunch of knuckleheads that are, you know, wearing them out. Hey, the levee broke, this broke, you know, do everything you can to help them. Cause you know, you being, you know, you wasting a field from them or property from them, you know, that they could do without it. So that, yeah, absolutely. And that, one thing that I can tell people, you know, from, from now being a farmer and, you know, and owning property is, be respectful to the roads and things like that. And you'll get like way further with landowners, you know, uh, you know, just walk in there a couple hundred yards, you know, like, you know, instead of taking that buggy all the way to the blind and, and rutting the levees up and, you know, just tearing, tearing things up with buggies and stuff like that. And, and Hey, you might, you might create a situation where it creates less pressure and you figure out that it was smart to walk in there and, you know, and kill those ducks you may kill more ducks oh yeah and i we've got uh, you know we call it garbage day last weekend of the season we'll send groups to every spot we've hunted we'll pick up any piece of garbage even if it's not from us it could have flooded up from the river yep but we don't come back until we have you know two or three garbage bags full of stuff yep. and the, the landowner doesn't even ask us to do that it's just yep we want to leave it practice. better than, than we found it just being a good steward man being a good steward well, Max, I appreciate having you on tonight. Uh, uh, one thing I always ask everybody, you know, for everybody listening, would you care if they ever reached out to you if they had any farm questions or duck questions? or? No, uh, the, the Instagram is uh, at Straight Lake. Uh, message me there. Uh, I'll be glad to answer uh, anything I can answer. Uh, just be patient with me during duck season. I mean, <laughs> it may take me a second to get back to you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I know. I know during during when the season's open, you guys are always busy running around doing stuff. But I, I definitely appreciate your time tonight. It was awesome getting to talk to you. I've been a fan of y'all for quite a while now, and I, I appreciate you getting back to me. Okay, bud. I enjoyed it very much, and uh, take care. Yes, sir. Have a good night. Good, good hunting. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Max. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, and welcome to Not Your Average Hunter. My name is Ethan Mathias. Did things a little bit different on this episode. I'm using the audio that we shared with the uh, Foulmouth podcast. I had Jake Morton in Denver Hall. They stopped by our house, spent the night, so that way they didn't have to sleep at the boat ramp. So we did share the audio. You can catch this podcast on their uh, channel as well. It's called Foulmouth Podcast. Anyways, if you'd like, feel free to check them out. Give them a follow. Uh, their Instagram is at DuckDenver, at Jake Morton at tailspinwaterfowl underscore and at foulmouthpodcast. Thanks and hope you enjoy.